0: Welcome, this is uh, Bishop James Wall coming to you from the Diocese of Gallup on Crozier Cast. And this week we have a very special guest with us, um, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Um, my name is Father Dale Jamison. I'm a Franciscan priest uh, in the Diocese of Gallup, pastor out at St. Mary's Mission in Tohachi, New Mexico on the Navajo Indian Reservation and Bishop Wall appointed me as the Director of Native American mystery, Ministry in October of 2012.
0: He start, actually started our office prior to that and the Diocese of Gallup, we didn't have a, a Native American Ministry office and Father Dale was the one that started that and, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful work. And then also you serve as a consultor for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops on the subcommittee for Native American affairs, and so we're always grateful that you're participating in that. That's a, a, a committee that I I chair for the USCCB. Well, this week we we thought we'd talk about something that was very very timely, and that is because this Saturday, on the 14th, we have the feast day. This is so very someone who's very special to us here in our diocese, and I think in the United States, North America, and that's Saint Kateri Tikakwitha. and um, I thought it would be perfect to have Father Dale come in here and for us to have a, a conversation about St. About Kateri. So, Father, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to ask you, what can you tell us about St. Kateri?
1: Well, St. Kateri Tekawitha was a young Native American uh, Indian of the Algonquin and Mohawk tribes, I believe her, her um Her mother was Algonquin and her father was Mohawk and she was born in 1656 in Auriesville, New York. It has several different names but we we call it Auriesville now and uh, she lived to be 24 years of age and died in 1680 and uh, her life is marked by, I would say, uh, holiness and charity. So these were two, uh, two marks that identified her life. So uh, as, a, as a young baby, as a young child, she contracted uh, smallpox, which affected her health severely. The smallpox killed the rest of her family. And she was scarred, her face. And she was uh, not a healthy uh, woman the rest of her life. Uh, so she suffered much from that particular malady. Um, But she also, but regardless of that, as she grew up within her own Native American culture, um, she learned from her culture, and one of the things she was noted for was her charity. So she reached out to other people in the community, especially the elders, um, and visited them and cared for them. Um, She's known for her charity. She's also known uh, for her penance, she would uh, fast, and she would pray, and she would do other forms of penances. But maybe her holiness is best marked by her virginity. Yeah. Saint Kateri was a virgin. She, she, there was much pressure and much stress put on her by her culture, by her family, to marry. But uh, she said no to that.
0: Was it her uncle somehow involved in that when, she, when her, was it her parents and her brother died? And then she went to live with, with... With an uncle. And he was a chief, right?
1: Correct. And uh, of the Mohawks. And uh, obviously when she became of marriageable age, there was a lot of pressure put on her. But uh, she said no to that. And of course, up until this time, she had, she was not a baptized uh, Christian or, or a Catholic. She was uh, simply living within <clears throat> her Native American community. But in her own mind, maybe it was inspiration and revelation from God somehow the grace of God infused into her she did not want to marry um, and, and so she is known for her virginity and I guess she was around 19 years of age when she came in contact with a number of Jesuits and uh, decided to become baptized uh, Christian and of course when she became a baptized Christian Catholic she was persecuted even more by her tribe. And um, somehow they, they did not um, uh, uh, agree to this. And so they, there's different ways that, that people can, can discriminate against their own kind. And so Cattery had to suffer in, in that respect. But uh, she did uh, decide, along with the Jesuits, to leave her community. And she went to live in a, another community up on near Montreal and uh, lived uh, the four years of her life, the last four years of her life up there. And:
0: um... Yeah, so one of the, the things you, know, you, know, you mentioned to her about <coughs> charity as well. And, um, and I, it, you know with, when we practice our virtue of charity, we don't, we don't want to discriminate only, only to be charitable toward people who Term that can benefit us or whatever, and and with with uh, St. Catherine, she was charitable toward everyone, he, even if somebody was cruel to her. Correct. Somebody didn't understand her. Someone was good to her. Whatever she, that was one of the beautiful ways that she practiced that virtue of charity. And I think that's what um, you know. That's what the Gospels call us to. Too. I think that's that's amazing. And I'd heard stories also after she came into the faith about arriving early at the church and um, before, before the mass would start. She had a great, great love for the Eucharist and even staying until after the last mass. I mean, this is the days when you, you probably had numerous masses because there was no concelebration. But you hear stories about her showing up early. You can imagine in the winter how cold it was. And because she wanted to be so close to her Lord, she had a great love for her Lord in the Eucharist.
1: Yeah, so we could say, I think, that her own uh, Native American culture, of course there's wonderful things in all cultures, but her own Native American culture taught her many wonderful things and, and got her on the path to holiness, but when she discovered Eucharistic sacramental culture those last four or five years of her life after baptism, it's like the frosting on the cake, and of course that enhanced her holiness and her prayer life and her love for Jesus um, and so showing up early at, at the church but also my understanding is she, she would use one day of the week and I believe it was a Sunday to totally fast yeah. she would not she would not eat any food on, on that day of the week and of course I think her own spiritual director had to admonish her to not do so many penances sure she was she was doing so many penances and her spiritual director advised her not to do as many. Um, but that was St. Kateri. And of course, uh, she did, as I say, a, a wonderful prayer life and charity. So I know Bishop Olmsted made that. I can still remember one of his homilies on the Feast of St. Kateri down in Phoenix. He talked about the horizontal outreach that Kateri had sure. in terms of her charity and helping people. and and visiting people, and, and so on and so forth. But she also had this vertical dimension, this holiness with God, with her Eucharistic life, her prayer life, uh, her sacramental life. And so the two go hand in hand, and the two together is what made Kateri a saint, Sure, uh, the horizontal and the vertical, and, and of course the, her virginity as an as external expression of her Holiness.
0: But that, you, you mentioned that <clears throat> great homily by uh, Bishop Olmstead. So uh, Father Dale and I both served. I was a priest of the Diocese of Phoenix, and Father Dale served in the Diocese of Phoenix. So he and I have known each other for quite some time. But that uh, one of the symbols, one of the images we usually see St. Catherine with is that cross, you know, the, the horizontal and the vertical. And you see that beautifully expressed in her life, you know, through her charity and through her prayer life with, with our Lord. Um, she, she also was she was a member of a particular clan, right? And I think that's one of the images that we see her with all the time. We see a turtle. Yes. And you'll see that uh, depicted in, in images of her. So she was a part of the turtle clan. We, we see that uh, throughout Christianity, iconography, um, different symbols or signs that are associated with the person that expresses a particular aspect. And um, I think with the turtle, this shows that she was part of a tribe, she was part of a, a Native American peoples, and, and um, I think that's kind of a, a, one of the neat things that we'll see incorporated into Christian art with, with her. So you'll see a symbol of a cross. You'll see a symbol of uh, the, uh, the turtle because of her, 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 her clan. You'll see images like the rosary. She had a great love for the rosary, uh, different, different things like that. So I think that's, that's important. Now, this week here in the the Diocese of Gallup, which, by the way, has the highest percentage of Native American peoples of any diocese in the United States, and so that's why she's so important to us, as well as I think she's important to many dioceses throughout North America. But this week in the diocese, um, we will have our St. Catery Mass, right? And we'll have that on her feast day. You want to talk a little bit about that? And that was something that, that really uh, picked up speed when Father Dale came on and started our our Native American office.
1: Um, So every year we try to have an annual diocesan celebration of St. Kateri Tekawitha. And so this will be the fourth or fifth consecutive year. And it will be this coming Saturday, July the 14th at Sacred Heart Cathedral at 11 a.m. in the morning with Bishop Wall presiding and hopefully a number of con-celebrating priests and a couple of hundred people in attendance, mostly Native American. Uh, So we've had this the last four or five years. Uh, We follow it with a procession with a beautiful santo and my understanding we have a new santo again this year. We
0: doubled in size. Last year we had a a santero from uh, Albuquerque. Carlos Otero did a beautiful image of St. Catherine and she's got, uh, she has moccasins, and she's got silver, and turquoise, and just absolutely beautiful. And I think he even incorporated the turtle somewhere in, in, in the image. Yeah. And, and so this year, um, he had made one that was about twice the size. Huh. And so uh, Southwest Indian Foundation, our director, uh, Mr. Bill McCarthy, was able to uh, work out a trade and so we, we're going to have one that's twice the size. So I'll go ahead and bless that one again this year, Correct. which is pretty exciting. So we'll have the Mass.
1: Followed by a procession with the new Santo to the Family Center. Uh, in the past, we've had different Native American communities uh, process with the Santo. This year, we will have the St. Catheri Youth Circle from Tohatchi, carrying uh, the Santo. Um, in years past, we've had uh, Karis. Laguna Caris, Pueblo people, chanting and drumming. They're not uh, able to make it this year, so we have Navajo medicine man and and a group to uh, sing for the procession. And we all process to the shrine that's set up in the family center, the hall, and uh, Bishop Wall will uh, bless the new santo first, and then the Navajo medicine man will uh, bless the santo second, along with some chant, and I think they're going to sing the Gloria in Navajo. Um, in years past, we always had the Laguna uh, uh, Eagle Dancers mm-hmm. uh, honor St. Katari Tekawitha, but they were not able to make it this year. So we'll do all of that, and then we will end the little ceremony with a, a prayer card, a prayer to St. Katari Tecuita, but also a second prayer card for the canonization of a Nicholas Black Elk. So here is a man from um, the diocese of Rapid City, South Dakota that is being uh, promoted for canonization. So we pray for his canonization. And then afterwards, the Cattery circles of the diocese have worked together to, to cook a meal of traditional Indian food and fry bread and watermelon for everybody in attendance.
0: Yeah, every time we get together, there's always food. You can't get together at, at any of the, the pueblos or reservations and, um, and not have food. It's right. always, it's, it's a great way to, to, to uh, I think, to grow in, in uh, our fraternity with one another. But no, it's, it's, this is an exciting day for us, and what we try to do is we try to do it on her feast day. I think in the past we'd try to do it on a weekend, but it just didn't seem to work. But uh, I think in the Native American cultures, they understand the feast day happening on the feast day because throughout our diocese um, especially on the pueblos when they have their particular feast day they don't move it to another weekend it will if it lands on a Tuesday everything stops no school no work um, first thing it starts is with a mass procession similar to what we're doing but on a much bigger scale
1: very traditional people and they stick to traditional dates yeah
0: so that's and, and, and I love that. I love the fact that we don't move it, that it's, that it's on her feast day. And so that's exciting. So anybody who's listening to this, you're, you're, you're welcome to join us. It's a great day, and it's a great, great day. We can grow in our devotion to St. Catery and through her intercession, grow in our love for our Lord and for his church. Um, and, then, and then the following week, there's, there's something else that, that's coming up on a national scale, and that's the uh, Tecowitha Conference. Mm-hmm. and this year it's in uh, Tacoma, right? Correct. So the Archdiocese of Seattle. Seattle. And, um, and so maybe you want to talk about that or maybe even talk about your involvement or how long you've been going to the Techawitha Conference?
1: Well, the National I'm Putting you tech- on
0: the spot and making you tell your age when I say right. stuff like that.
1: Right. Well, the Tecowitha Conference is 77 years of age, so I was not there at the first one. <laughs> um but uh, the week after the, the Tekawitha Feast on the 14th of July is always the National Tekawitha Conference. And it, it, it goes to different cities around uh, the United States so that it can facilitate some of the local people so they don't have to travel too far. This year, as you say, Bishop, it's in Tacoma, Washington, the Archdiocese of Seattle. And uh, that would be from July the 18th to the 22nd. There's about 600 to 750 Native Americans from North America, United States, and Canada, and they attend. A lot of the people come to see their old friends, but there is uh, things of substance that take place at the conference. There's always keynote addresses. There's always workshops on on, on different uh, topics. Certainly the liturgies with the bishops presiding and their homilies a chance for prayer services and sunrise services and powwows and penance and healing services with bishops and priests hearing confessions. And so it's a number of you know, liturgical, educational, inspirational, prayerful uh, moments for three and a half days. And the, and, and the people seem to enjoy it very, very much. Originally, the conference was... Designed to pray for the canoniz- canonization of Saint Catherine Tekoitha, well, that happened. That <laughs> happened in, in in October the twenty first of twenty twelve, and I was fortunate enough to be there. I know Bishop Wall was yeah, there too. The two too. of us were there. It was a we great saw day. It. Uh, but now I think the conference is moving over to not only the keynotes and the the workshops and the like, but praying for vocations to religious life and the priesthood, especially from the Native American communities. So that seems to be one of the, the main priorities now of the Tecowitha Conference in their prayers.
0: Sure, I think that's key, too, to understand that everybody has a vocation. You know, we, it kind of flows from our, our, our baptismal call, and everyone has a vocation, a particular vocation to come to understand and know that you know, whether it could be to marriage whether it could be a religious life, whether it could be as a priest, um, whatever the case is. And so I think that's one of the things that we're, we talk about quite a bit. And you think about our Lord's words when it says, he said he looks at him, his heart was moved with pity because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then what does he say? He says, beg the harvest master. In other words, pray, pray to God to send laborers into the vineyard. So I think that's, that's something that's also very, very, uh, important, and as you mentioned, we were, we were both at the, uh, at the canonization for St. Catherine. and I remember at our ad limina visit, which is every five years, the, a diocese, the bishop, is to go to Rome, meet with the Holy Father, and give an account of his diocese, and I remember when we were meeting with Saint, or Pope Benedict, and I had, we each had one little thing to say, all the bishops, and I mentioned to him how excited we were here in our diocese and the Native American peoples were so grateful for the canonization of St. Kateri. And he, uh, he really lit up when, when I said that, and he actually engaged me a little bit on that. And I knew that he, he loves the saints. He has a, a particular love and devotion to the saints. And I knew that, but I was, wanted to thank him for that. And, and, uh, and then it was really exciting for us to be there and not have to say blessed anymore. It seemed like we said blessed Kateri or Kateri forever. It Was really exciting for him to announce for the first time when he called her saint. That was a great day. And uh, I think I think the people coming there were like five or six, but the people coming for her canonization there. I mean, I think we outnumbered everybody. It was it was amazing. Well, I can
1: tell you, Bishop, as all of the Native Americans were walking down the streets dressed in their traditional attire and regalia, the Roman people who have seen so many tourists in their their city took note of this. They it's like they all stopped drinking their cup of coffee just to look. Yeah. They never seen anything quite like it. It was and yeah. it was it was outstanding. But I think we both know that the canonization of St. Catherine Maybe open the floodgates here for uh, the canonization of other Native Americans. And so you know, and I know, that uh, the La Florida Martyrs case sure. has been opened uh, by Bishop Parks down in Florida, and then the Nicholas Blackout cause has been opened um, up in the dio- Diocese of Rapid City Bishop Bruce. by Bishop Groose. So, um, and, and and as you say, the Native American people, with her canonization, have, were just so excited and so feeling a part of the Catholic Church, sure. and now their yeah. prayers are for the canonization of these, these other saints, and and now we're going to be finding out others, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I and mean, to remember too that you know in North America, you know, in the Americas, the Native American peoples were the first to receive the good news, the first to hear the gospel, and so um, I think this is uh, the, the canonization and then as you mentioned with the, the martyrs in Florida as well as uh, Nicholas Black Elk this is an affirmation of the faith that they've embraced for a long time and they continue um, to embrace and we have these great role models and, and the one being uh, Saint, Saint Cattery I remember one of the things that's really kind of uh, um, it's been uh, real present to me is that I've noticed in our cathedral when we have the right of election after the canonization of Saint Kateri, that the percentage of Native American peoples coming into the church went up substantially—probably mm-hmm. 20, 25 percent—is pretty amazing. And, and and I attribute a lot to that to the intercession of uh, Saint Kateri um, on interceding on behalf of her people, which I think is pretty amazing to see. So if as we kind of wind up or come to a conclusion, um, why don't uh, I asked Father Dale, uh, if there's one thing that he could say, looking at the life of St. Cattery, that, um, that really attracts, what um, really attracts you to her, a particular devotion, what would that one, that one aspect of her life be?
1: Well, you are putting me on the spot there, Bishop. Uh, again, I, I'm gonna answer it this way, and, and I have addressed this uh, to a, a lot of youth but again, something from Bishop Olmsted's homily years ago about St. Catherine's virginity. Yeah. And that in the world today, virginity is not a very popular thing. It's, it's put down by secular media and the, the mainstream United States. And pornography makes fun of, of virginity of males or female virginity and the like. So... One, one of the points that Bishop Olmsted was making is that virginity is eschatological. It gives us a glimpse of what we're all going to be in heaven, brides of Christ. Sure. And so even on, on this earth, you know, people marry, but with death till death do us part. The marriage bond is broken. They're free to marry again, or if it's at their death and we go to heaven... We become uh, virgins for the the bridegroom. And so eschatologically speaking, virginity on this side of life is what we're going to be eternally on the other side of life. And so it gives us a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, in the same way that a Sunday Eucharist around the table of the Lord in our churches is a glimpse of the eternal high uh, feast in heaven with Christ the High Priest around the Eucharistic table. Many things on this earth give us a glimpse of what really is happening sure. in heaven.
0: Sure, and what we should, we should aspire to. I think that's, that's a great, great point. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, too, um, it's, it's being downplayed in our society and our world. Ultimately, we know who's behind that because God's plan is for us to live uh, you know, chaste lives. And so when we're not, we know ultimately the evil ones behind that. So the thing that stands out to me most for her, and this goes back to um, one of my professors in the seminary, he used to always sum everything up by saying, gentlemen, it always comes back to the cross. And in my coat of arms, I have three forms of the cross, one being the Tau cross for the Franciscans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that it would be that, that great love that she had for the cross, and that's why she's always she's uh, always pictured with, or many times pictured with a cross. And that, just that great love for our Lord, our love for our Lord and His passion, and understanding that ultimately that leads us to, to eternal life. So, uh, Father Dale, thanks for, for joining us this week on our Crozier Cast. Looking forward to uh, celebrating Mass with you this weekend, and then also being in attendance with you at the Tickle with the Conference. And so, thank you for uh, joining us this week, and uh, uh, please make sure to tune in next week for Crozier Cast. God bless.